Welcome to Habitual Excellence, presented by Value Capture. This podcast in our firm is all about helping you and your organization achieve habitual excellence via one unifying focus, one value-based structure, and one performance system. In other words, it's about helping you capture dramatically more value through achieving perfect care and perfect safety for patients and staff. To learn more about Value Capture and our services, visit www.valuecapturellc.com. Hi, I'm Mark Raven. Welcome to Habitual Excellence. We're joined today by Jeff Webster. Jeff is a co-founding principal of Value Capture. Jeff, thanks for joining us. How are you? Thank you, Mark. I'm having a good day. Thank you. Well, good. So what does habitual excellence mean to you, Jeff? Well, habitual excellence for me is um, really a state of being for an individual or an organization um, where uh, there's an understanding uh, that the things that you do every single day, the little things and the big things, are what have an influence on whether you get the results that you want. And so when you understand things that way and think about things that way, um, the lens of what you do every moment of every day uh, takes on a very different meaning and people form habits that enable really excellent results all the time at everything that you do. So can you tell us about um, the origin of the phrase and you know, sort of, you know, how this was introduced to value capture? There's, there's some history that goes behind that phrase before we delve into it more. Absolutely. Uh, so that phrase uh, I certainly learned and I think many of my colleagues learned from, from Paul O'Neill. Um, and Paul was the CEO and chairman of Alcoa who led um, one of the great transformations of an organization uh, as he was CEO and chairman of Alcoa, um, starting with the idea of perfect worker safety, that nobody should ever be harmed at work. And what he understood in, in setting that goal, and as, as a lot of people who were there um, in the early years when he, when he uh, chose that as the spear point for excellence at Alcoa, was that once you think about perfect and the idea of, of harming nobody in this case, um, it causes you to think about all the things that can cause harm. And those things at a place like Alcoa go everything from uh, holding the handrail when you walk down the stairs every single time to making sure that people um, follow the very few but important rules that there are about uh, using the guards and personal protective equipment that are necessary and, um, and holding each other and each, each person individually accountable for, um, for their own and everybody else's safety not just in the way you design systems, but in their own behaviors. So, um, you know, they were able to get uh, incredibly close to perfect worker safety figures um, across the globe um, when other organizations are still struggling. 
and I think at this moment are still 17 times safer than your average healthcare institution in terms of, of uh, harm to workers. And so we learned this phrase in, in that context and have been able to help leaders of healthcare organizations um, learn to create the same kind of urgency through worker and patient safety, um, setting the goals at, at perfect. And then by helping people uh, learn how to build the systems that, that help people practice those habits every single day. And in the context of COVID-19 and what we're experiencing right now, um, it's the same things that uh, keep a healthcare worker or another patient from getting COVID-19 as it is for, for uh, you know, many other pathogens that exist that are, that are rampant throughout hospitals. Things that are droplet precautions and that require masks and gloving and gowning and isolation procedures. Um, but it often takes a set of habits to do those excellently and, and keep anybody from getting hurt. And uh, we're learning now to practice those things in this extreme context, um, but it's the same habits that can be practiced every single day in every single healthcare institution that would enable, you know, literally hundreds of thousands of people not to be hurt each year uh, in the hospital setting and in the healthcare setting. So that's where, that's how I think about habitual excellence is how to drive that situational awareness about the connections between every little action that you do every moment of every day and the importance that they have for being as close to perfect um, uh, uh, in everything that you do every day. Now, in uh, an earlier episode, we talked with uh, Ken Siegel, and we really focused a lot on the idea of aiming for zero harm and focusing on theoretical limits. I was wondering if you if you could elaborate on on some of that your your views on this, Jeff, of why that focus on theoretical limits is a, a really important part of creating, um, as, as you're saying, the systems and the habits that lead to habitual excellence. It's not, it's not just setting a high bar, it's setting this theoretically high bar, or it might be a low um, number uh, when it comes to, to harm. Um, so what, what, can you elaborate on how theoretical limits are an important part of the habitual excellence uh, yeah. approach? Yes, I, I, uh, I think I can't just elaborate on it. I, I think that you actually can't have habitual excellence without aiming for perfect and thinking about the idea of the theoretical limit. And the story that I would tell, um, you know, goes back to our days um, working with, uh, with Dr. Shannon at the University of Pennsylvania and the wonderful people of the University of Pennsylvania and the model cell units where we worked where we were able to eliminate um, central line associated bloodstream infections. And uh, it had been done before um, in, in other places that we had worked, um, but we actually selected the um, oncology units explicitly because 
um, the the people in those units and including the patients, um, the, the patients don't have an immune system, basically. Um, many of them have gone through bone marrow transplants um, and had their immune system intentionally wiped out um, for the purpose of, of making them healthier in the long run. Um, but that means that any mistake anything that exposes those patients to a pathogen um, is essentially, uh, if not a death sentence, at least a you know, severe, severe illness with the threat of death. And um, before we, we helped them think about the idea of eliminating all harm, um, they had a, a, a rate of infection that was considered the norm. And uh, when we first introduced the idea, um, many of the people there um, thought that it was a crazy idea and, and that's a perfectly normal um, reaction. Um, but importantly, the, the turning point, um, it, first of all, is humanizing the, the picture of harm. And that's why safety is so important to this journey, um, everything should be pursued at perfect, at the theoretical limit. But safety is something that everybody can agree to pursue at perfect. And the reason is because you can humanize it. So what we did with, with those, those nurses and physicians and respiratory therapists and others um, was, uh, was literally go through the last um, I think it was 65 cases of people who had gotten central line infections and literally put names and faces and family stories to every single case. And by doing that exercise with the, with those people, um, uh, it, it was not a push of the idea we need to be perfect it was a rallying cry for everybody to say, look at all these people who we didn't mean to harm, but we harmed. And uh, we never want this to happen to anybody again. And once that uh, groundswell occurred, the changes in the mindset about whether perfect was possible was, was almost immediate. And people began to understand that if you set the goal at 99% reduction, let's just take a you know, very high number, um, and therefore the expected rate is we'll, we'll have one this year, let's just say, then when one happens, do you know if that's the one that is expected or the one that wasn't expected? So it immediately takes the energy, it sort of pops the bubble of, should we work on and solve this one and learn from it when you don't have that theoretical limit focus and the human face on the story? And the long and short of that story is that the, the 200 plus nurses and physicians on those units um, took that energy and that learning to drive deep down into the details of every process that they performed that 
that could cause someone to get an infection and we're able to standardize those processes and then solve problems that they found along the way and we're able to eliminate all infections uh, for a period of more than more than five years when they were producing uh, 400, almost 400 infections per year prior to that. And, and, then, and this type of, um, gosh, if you will, breakthrough results in performance um, don't 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 come easy it comes through that really just disciplined diligent habitual approach to things right and one other thing i've heard mr o'neill talk about and maybe you can share some thoughts on is how you know focusing on safety and um you know, creating habits and leadership practices and systems that lead to perfect safety that that has if you will spillover effects to other goals and measures that the organization is is also trying to achieve, right? Absolutely. Um, so uh, causing these habits in people, once the switch is turned on, um, that it's possible to be perfect at, at one important thing, and that it's the little things that you do every day, whether you put your gloves on perfectly, whether you wash your hands perfectly, um, whether you insert a catheter perfectly. Once you've proven to yourself that it's possible for hundreds and hundreds of people to, uh, to change those habits because the system helps them learn what things are most important and what to do reliably in order to produce those perfect results, the same is true for every single process that exists. And you know, this is what's so inspirational and exciting about um, this work is that human beings have limitless capability and limitless potential to um, develop an understanding and learn how to get better at everything that they do all the time. Um, but it takes uh, a certain set of leadership characteristics that, that establish systems with perfect goals, with information about the outcomes that isn't retrospective or historical. It's, it's, it's day by day and real time and, and very actionable. In other words, if we had an, a fever on one of those units, the fever might not even be the, the sign that there is an infection, the fever is a sign that there might be an infection. And if what that causes is habitual activity to problem solve around what do we know and what can we learn, um, it, it creates this incredible capability. And so we didn't just see improvements in the, uh, the central line infection rate, um, we saw improvements in every other kind of infection rate. So VAPs and MRSA and C. diff and, you know, all of them. Um, but it also leads to uh, just incredible downstream learning. Um, so one story that comes to mind from this period was, uh, you know, one of the uh, processes we were standardizing was blood draws. And one of the things they looked at 
when they were trying to eliminate these infections was how do we draw blood? And there were seven or eight, if I recall correctly, different kinds of vacutainers, these little um, containers when you draw blood that they, they attach to the needle and it sort of sucks the blood out and, and holds it so that it can be sent to the lab. And they started asking themselves the question, well, how much blood do we actually need to do the testing that we're, we're asking for? So they went to the lab and asked that question. And it turned out that it was a, a handful of milliliters. And, but some of these uh, vials were, were very large and, and, and held you know, 20, 30 milliliters, like a lot of blood. And when, when we added up the amount of blood that we were taking from vitally sick people um, who then we were actually paying blood banks thousands of dollars to buy blood and put back in, we were actually making people anemic because we didn't understand the amount of blood that was needed in order to to solve that problem or to, to, to understand their clinical condition and treat them. So it's this kind of detailed, habitual, scientific method thinking that doesn't just fix one problem, it fixes all the problems because we basically <laughs> open people's eyes to see what they're doing every day with the lens of perfect and then start just solving problems at a pace that most organizations can't even imagine and producing results that prior to that were thought to be unimaginable. So, you know, you talk about, you know, I mean, these are unimaginable times that we're in right now. And, and what you were talking about in terms of habits, Jeff, really kind of got me thinking about habits that we're all trying to practice now. Like I'm trying to be perfect about washing my hands. Uh, it's harder to be perfect about not touching my face. Um, it, it's easier to be perfect about not gathering with other people. And, you know, these habits um, are, are being put in place to, you know, of course, slow the spread of COVID-19. But I've, I've, I've heard that there's been spillover effect in terms of reducing uh, the occurrence of, of just regular influenza. And, you know, some of these habits are probably going to remain in terms of, you know, hand washing and who knows about handshaking. Um, but it, it, it's, it, it's, you know, uh, kind of made me reflect, uh, you know, it's, it, it's hard to change habits as an individual. It's, it's got to be more difficult to try to do that on an organizational level, right? Um, yes, I think that that's true. Um, but organizations, um, and the leaders of organizations have levers for changing behavior that um, that the general population doesn't typically have. So, in a in a circumstance like the um, like COVID nineteen, um, there's a huge amount of individual impetus or will to to change behaviors in order to protect your own safety and the safety of your family. Um, I think that one of the things that organizational leaders can do that 
um, is vastly underutilized. And again, it gets back at this, um, this brilliance about using safety and perfect safety as the lever for organizational transformation is create those human stories and, and that picture of the gap between where we are and perfect every single day um, that, that um, motivates that same kind of burning platform for the change of behaviors. And then also giving people eyes to see uh, the habits that are most important. So you mentioned, you know, hand washing and social contact in the current context. Um, yeah. Well, hand washing, as you said, always has been important. It, uh, there are tens of thousands of people every year, you know, somewhere between 20 and 75,000 people every year who die from influenza. Um, it doesn't get the same press. It's sort of been normalized. Um, and so people don't act in ways that prevent the, the spread of influenza. But uh, if leaders can use their positions to um, help people imagine a future where, for instance, we didn't spread influenza to each other and that we use the same habits and the same urgency that we're using for COVID to save the the you know 25 to 75,000 people a year who who die of of influenza and then you extend that to all the other things that people get sick with uh, the, the overall societal impact could be enormous and the more that it's society the harder it is because it takes a leader sort of at the level of a president or you know a, a senior person with a lot of stature nationally to make those kinds of changes. But when you're running a hospital or a health system or, uh, or another kind of business, um, what it really takes is the leader of that organization making clear the unarguable importance of aiming for perfect in the most important values-based things like safety. And with that, it's possible to flip this switch and get everybody acting in aligned ways towards the most important things and, and towards becoming a learning organization to, to be able to solve any other problem too. Well, I think that's a great note to end on. Um, Jeff, I'm sure we'll have you on other episodes of uh, Habitual Excellence. Um, so. Our guest has been, uh, again, Jeff Webster, a co-founding principal of Value Capture. Is there any kind of final last thought you, I said that was a good note to end on, but I'll give you a chance if you want the last word, if there's anything else you want to add, Jeff. Yeah, I would just say that, um, you know, one of the things we teach leaders to do is to try to put on fresh eyes and go out into their organizations and look around for the habits that they can see that can tell them whether people are habitually excellent. And one great one that we've been taught is just stand at a staircase and watch how many of the employees and, and visitors use the handrail 
and you can actually predict with pretty high certainty the excellence of an organization by seeing the behaviors around something that simple. So I would, I would uh, close with that note um, that there are actions you can take to understand your current condition. And then once you learn those things, you can uh, act on them and create systems that make things better. Well, great. Well, Jeff, again, thank you so much for um, being part of the podcast here. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Mark. Thanks for listening to Habitual Excellence presented by Value Capture. We hope you'll subscribe to the podcast and please also rate and review it in your favorite podcast directory or app. To learn more about Value Capture and how we can help your organization on this journey to habitual excellence, visit our website at www.valuecapturellc.com.